talking about creation stories, about beginnings, because I, I, you know, this is when, you know, I just started. And so we're talking about creation stories, and of course the first one we talked about was the one in Genesis, the first chapter where God says, let there be light. And the second one is right from Genesis as well. It's in the Adam and Eve story where we or, or they uh, begin to know wisdom. But the consequence is their life. And then last week we talked about the logos found in the Gospel of John, which is about the divine intelligence or the breath of God or breath of life. And so today we're going to talk about another creation. It's a little bit different. I'm just going to roll with me a little bit. It is the creation of the society of friends or the children of the light. All right, are we excited? Are we good? This is good. <laughs> Yay. It'll be interesting. All right, so if I was going to tell you the classic story of the creation of the story of friends, if I was going to give you sort of, a, I hate to use the word mythology, but our sort of our story that everybody talks about it, it's the one where George Fox, the guy I've been talking about, um, climbs Pendle Hill. He gets moved by God to climb this big hill. Anybody ever climb Pendle Hill here? You have? Oh my, is it big? Yes. It's big. It's a big hill. And so it's a mountain. I'm just going to say it's a mountain. Anyway, so he climbs this hill. There's long stories about it. We'll talk about it one of these days. And that's the story. That's the story. And he sees a great people to be gathered. And they're all in white raiment. It's almost like they're beautiful. It's like we're glowing. And I can see it just in you right now. You're glowing right now. But that's the typical story. That's the one, and of course, just a few weeks later, he goes down, he goes to Furbank Fell, he preaches amongst all these seekers, thousands are converted, and away they go. And that's, and that's the story that most of us have heard again and again and again. At least I have. But I think we need to look at a different story when we think about the creation, where it first started. Now, if I were going to describe this, I have to go back a little bit and explain the sort of cultural going-ons when Quakers started up. Now, we first have to know that when Quakers started, it was right in the midst of the English Civil War. Right? Blue versus gray. No, not that one. Different. I mean, royalists, people who supported the king, and people who supported parliament, to be very broad in those brushstrokes. And it was right in the middle of this time that different groups could be wild and crazy and think different thoughts and do different things. It was just, well, it was just frankly illegal before. Right? Before that time, they had a good place for heretics. And it wasn't at the meeting house, you know? And it was during this craziness, and of course, after the king lost his head, that it was just wild. Could you imagine the divine king, the one who was divinely appointed by God, and now he's, he's no more? It was a time for a new order, a new way of thinking about things, and people responded to that very differently where you were. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to talk about it in terms first of the two major 
ways people thought about things at that time period, before Quakers were around. The two major ways, the, the ways people think about it. And remember, I, I talk about that we have a word for the week. At least we have had a word for the last couple of weeks. The word for this week is sinner. Sinner. So if I had a big marker here, or whatever, one of those little magic markers, I'd love to have one of those. You know, sinner, and I'd, I would really underline it in bold and in a, 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 a color you could see it. So I've got to get that out of the way. Okay, the first thing is the Anglican perspective, the English church, the English state church. And here it is. Okay, you are a sinner. All right, you're a sinner, according to Anglican, the Church of England. You are a sinner, but it's all right. It's going to be okay. Because what we have right now is these rituals and these prayers and these great holidays. You're going to love the holidays. You know, have I told you about Christmas and the presents? You are going to love them, and we have these special priests, and they have wonderful robes, like lined in gold, silver. They have these little crowns and stuff. They carry. It's fit for a king. It really is fit for a king, all what we do. And guess what? Guess who runs our church? It's the king. The king runs it, and it's, it makes for a great kingdom where everybody's quiet and obedient, and it's like the old days. And when we have troublemakers like Catholics and Quakers and ranters, you know what we do with them. You know, we take care of business. And by the way, we're going to want 10% of everything you've made this last year. 10%, okay? To, you know, keep up the building and everything like that. Uh, we can take cash, credit card, goats, grain, whatever you got, we'll take 10% of it. And if you don't feel like that, I want you to meet my friend here, Mr. Constable. Mr. Constable, could you search under the mattress? I think he's hiding a little bit of that 10%. The other perspective was, I'm going to call it the Calvinist perspective. Now, I'm, I'm lumping two big groups here. They don't like to be lumped together, but I'm lumping them. And those are the Presbyterians and the Puritans. Right? They don't really like being lumped together, but we're lumping them together. And the way they saw it, and this is the world the Quakers were really mixing with, these kinds of folks. And here, where's my thing here? Okay, center, right? You are a center. You're a sinner. Where is that thing? I wish I had like a, <laughs> a rod to beat the board. You are a sinner. You know, we all here are just sinners. Condemned forever, forever by our sin. By the sin of Adam and Eve. And our condemnness, it means we are separated from God. And that is the way it works. You're separated from God. There's, there's a hope. And that hope is grace. The grace of Christ. 
Not everybody's going to get it. But there are some. There are few. There are the elect. And we know that they're going to get it. But since God already knows who that is, we're really just waiting. You know, hoping we're one of the elect. Well, who's in the elect? Who's the elect? Right? It's a good question. Fair question. Who's the elect? Well, we don't know exactly. Only God knows who's in the elect. But I would guess, you know, God really likes hard work. You know, so people who aren't so hardworking, maybe a little lazy. I don't know, maybe. I just don't think they would probably be elect. I don't know. I don't know. People who maybe tip the bottle a little bit much. You know what I mean? I don't think God would really have them be the elect. You know, these ranters and these Quakers or whatever, not elect. <laughs> that is known. If you really want to know, just listen to the preachers. They'll let you know. Read your Bible and, and hope. Hope it's going to be okay. Well, you could see that these two major groups, and this would have been 90% or so of the population. I'm saying 90%. It was probably more than that. 90% of the population would believe in one of these two sort of frameworks. And you could see that it's, there was sort of, it was missing something. Because on the one hand, it was like God is love. And if you don't worship here, we will kill you. So, you know, it's a different kind of God's love. And the other was, you are a sinner. Mm. But maybe with a little discipline, a little diligence, perhaps, if you're worthy, you'll be the elect. Well, you can see that for some folks that just wasn't enough. That sort of, there was some middle ground there that they weren't talking about. And people did with it the way they would do with it in this time of sort of anarchy. So, for example, there were groups like ranters who were like, it's, it's not about the church at all, it's just called, just drink and be merry and have a good time, and it's just, you know, golly, times are in. Or other people would have been more like Baptists. This is also the time of formation of Baptists who were like, you need to get baptized. You know, which was illegal, very much illegal to get baptized. And other people were more political. They were levelers or diggers or whatever who thought, or fifth monarchy men who thought, well, gosh, we just already cut the head off a king. Let's keep cutting. You know, there's lots of heads out there. Well, for... For George Fox and for a lot of the early friends, they went sort of a different route. If you would have known a lot of the early friends, a lot of people described them as such. They were not necessarily the most popular folks. They were somber people. 
you know, they were thinkers and they were feelers and, and they had a depth to them. And they were seeking sort of some truth. And, and George Fox is, of course, our greatest example. And, and people would say to George things like, you know, why don't you, you know, take up tobacco? You know, get yourself a little tobacco, smoke, put it in your pipe, you'll be all right. Or, you know, you need to get married and have kids. Come on, it's about time. Or you need to just join the army. That'll shape you right up. And it just, nothing fit. And so what happened is he kept seeking, kept seeking, and I'm going to talk about these two experiences, one after the other. I'm going to talk about one in 1648, and then one that was actually earlier, but I'm switching them around because I can. And this is the one we never talk about. This is a different vision of George Fox, which I think is very formulative. He said, I saw there was a great crack to go throughout the earth, and a great smoke to go as the crack went. And after that crack, there should be a great shaking. This was the earth in people's hearts, which had to be shaken before the seed of God was raised out of the earth. And it was so, for the Lord's power began to shake them, and great meetings we began to have. And it sort of goes through this experience that the early friends talked about. If you, if you were to ever go to an early friends meeting, it would have been quiet, at least initially. And it would have been like three hours long, so get ready. And it would have been quiet, but eventually somebody would start to groan or moan or shake or do something that if we saw it today, we'd say, whoa, hold on. Help them out. Get them some water. It was a time where they were shaking the darkness out of them. Because here's what happened before. And this is the very famous line that George Fox has. That he was so troubled. If you know about George Fox, he suffered from depression. Terrible depression. And he would be filled with just sort of a darkness. And he found at one time that the light was within them. There was one that could speak to his condition. And his heart leapt for joy. Now, I've never really understood what that meant. Not really. But I think I know now is that he found the voice of God within him. The light of God within him. And he knew that as long as he kept listening to that voice, that light of God, he would be, a, not only, he would be a saint. A living saint. And I know it sounds crazy. He thought he was perfect. He said he was raised to a state higher than Adam. A new creation, he called it. Of course, he would still suffer from depression and have his own issues and things like that. But in that moment that he was filled with the light, that he was turned toward the light, well, really all the moments, he was a child of the light. He had been transformed. And the people around him, right there in the Midlands of England, began to call each other, you know, the kids of the light. I don't know if they used the word kids. I think it was children of the light. But you can imagine the difference between going from 
sinner to saint. And don't think that this, I mean, like I said, it wasn't such an easy transition. There had to be some shaking to plow the ground in order to get that seed of light to grow. All right, if I can find it on this piece of paper, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story about the second floor. One of the hospitals that I used to work at um, has a second floor. And I can do it right now. Second floor. You go up, and it would be a call that I would always get almost always on the weekend. And I knew exactly where I was going, to the behavioral health unit of a major hospital. And I would get these calls about mm, two, at least two a day on a weekend day. I'd go up there, second floor, and I knew if it was going to be a crazy visit or a, a different kind of visit, depending if I went left or right. Because if I went left, I was going to the place where those people would harm others. Okay? So you always had to be a little bit, you know, you had to be aware. And I know if I went right, I was going to a place that the people would harm themselves, right? And there's lots of reasons why people do that, but it's sort of typical about a guy, I think, I'm pretty sure his name was Mike, but it was a guy that I had met at the hospital there on the second floor to the right, and he was, as soon as I got in there, if you ever get in there, it's cold in those places. The rest of the hospital could be hot. In that place, it's cold. And so you get in there, and I, these people are in, you know, little, you know, garbs or whatever. It's freezing. And so we finally get to sit down, and the guy's just shaking. He's just shaking. It's cold. I'm like, you know, and, and anyway, so he was, I, I find out a little about him. He's a veteran from Afghanistan. And he was wounded over there. He has PTSD. And he's responsible for his three kids, his three kids that he has. And he has a, a sort of a wife, ex-wife, that has her own issues. And she took off and left him three of her kids. So he's now responsible for six kids. There's nobody else that will take care of him. He just has problems. His parents help out a little bit. He has a job, but I mean, lately it just got so crazy. The oldest, one of the oldest ones, it was so crazy that he just, it was, you know what, he said, I'm going to check myself into a behavioral health unit. And so he did, but when he got back out, the job, he had been a foreman of a construction crew, but now because of that, and you know, he was twitchy and he sort of shook and everything like that, they just sort of said, you know what, here is a broom, you know, what can you, you know. You know, make some copies. Gosh, I think somebody wants a little coffee. He wasn't making ends meet. Things were falling apart. The bills were piling up. He just, and then his, the engine in his car just went out. His life sucked. And that's what I told him. I said, man, I know why you're depressed. It's not hard to figure out. Man, your life stinks. 
It's a rough life. I get it. But then I asked him this question, and I, and I can honestly say it's not really my set of questions. I didn't, there's another guy who did it. Sadhguru, has anyone ever heard of Sadhguru? That guy. Very well-known Swami. Anyway, he does this some. But I've learned to do it with folks. And that is, I said to him, I said, hey man, talk about your job. Are you that job? He's like, what? I said, you've had jobs before. You're going to have jobs after it, I guess. They'll change it. Maybe they'll let you do electrical work next or whatever. Maybe they'll let you go. Maybe you get a different one. Are you that job? No. I guess I'm not. I said, are you that car with that blown engine? Man, I know that stinks. Haven't you had cars before it? You'll have cars afterward? Yeah. You're not really that car either. You think about, are you those kids, that kid who wants to get as far away from you as possible, that oldest one? I mean, are you, you may never see, are you those kids? No. Are you any of those possessions, that, the trailer that you live in, the, any of the dog, are any of those really you? The very name that you have, were you given it? By your parents? What is yours? Who are you? What are you? Outside of all the stuff around you, everything that you're saying, who are you? And I could say, well, you know what? The very fact that you called a chaplain in rather than a, a psychologist allows me to save this, say this. You are a child of the light. You're a child of God. The very fact that you called me in to talk to you today tells me that you are one who loves God and loves these kids. Just because the very way you talked about them, no, I can tell that you care about them and you don't want anything to hurt them. You, no matter what happens around you, are a child of the light and are of God. And I want you to know that no matter what happens, you can carry that with you because I know it. I can see it in your heart, hear it in your words. And he just smiled and he just smiled and he nodded his head. You know, so funny, a couple days after that, I was in that same ward, you know, and he was walking with some other folks and I could tell he was just a thousand percent better and he just nodded at me and kept walking and it was the best time I'd ever been ignored in my life. I was just so happy to be ignored. Because I'd know he sort of, he had gotten over his hump. He had learned maybe a little bit about himself. You know, the thing I want to ask you, I don't have any liquid left here. You're like, man, I know all this stuff. I took Quakerism 101. I get it. I got a light. I know what that's about. Well, all right, well, I'm going to take you to vacation Bible school. You're so smart. 
because one of the themes we had at Vacation Bible School that said, once we know we have a light, once we know it, we got to let it shine, right? And we're going to go to Matthew right here. First off, we're going to go to us to the way we may feel. We may feel like, are you the salt of the earth? But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be salty again? No, rather, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before all people, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So that's your homework. You've got to take this light that you have, the one you know about, this voice of God, and you've got to put it on a lampstand. You've got to share it with folks. Share it with this world. Share your light through your words, for your actions, and through your love.